Hi, and thank you for tuning in to McDowell Mountain Community Church's podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you can be notified when we upload our latest message. We hope the message you hear today is encouraging to you as you navigate your week. Be blessed. We've been talking about squad goals, and when we're talking about squad goals, we're giving some goals to different uh, areas of life, friendships, family. Last week, we talked a little bit about marriage. Um, This week, I want to talk about the next generation. And when I mention the next generation, it's it's interesting, uh, the emerging generations, it's interesting when I start to talk about that, it evokes different thoughts and feelings for everybody. And if you're like me, Um, and you've uh, been alive for a while, sometimes the tendency and the thought is to look at the next generation and just do this. Oh, my gosh. They have no idea. (laughs) Come on, be honest. Be honest. Some of you have that tendency and that, that... that thought, you look at the next generation, you just kind of shake your head. And um, I want to talk about the next generation, but I want to talk about it in a way that um, uh, would hopefully help you and me both understand how important our role is in what's to come in our world. Your role is important. Regardless of whether you're a parent or grandparent or whether you're just a human being. How many of you in the room um, are alive and you have a heartbeat? How many of you? Okay, if you did not raise your hand, I just want to invite the security team and the safety team to make sure we have our AED ready. Um, so here's the deal. We, we have just a small little picture of Jesus' formational years So when he would have been considered like the next generation, we don't have a lot of information on kind of how he was raised and what it looked like, but we do have this. Luke, uh, who wrote down some of the stories of Jesus, he wrote this. Jesus grew in wisdom. Wisdom is not just acquiring knowledge, right? We know that, that wisdom is actually being able to understand and apply knowledge to life situations, to the real world. Um, knowledge and wisdom are two very different things. So, so Jesus grew in wisdom, how to apply knowledge to real life. So the way that he was raised, uh, his parents, his community, he had a faith community um, that he was a part of. He grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. So physically he grew. And then just a really interesting comment. He grew in favor with God and favor with all the people. Now, if I asked you, how many of you would like to grow in God's favor? Yeah, I'll take that. I don't know exactly what that means, but that sounds awesome. Like, I want to have favor with God, and I want to have favor with other people. Like, I want to grow in favor with God, and I want to grow in favor with people. Well, that's what happened with Jesus. Jesus grew in his wisdom So how he was raised, community, family, all those things. He grew in stature. Physically, he grew. And then he grew somehow in favor with God and with other people. And one of the things that is true uh, with the emerging generations, and it had to be true with Jesus, was that it was not just up to his family how he would turn out. Like, it was, there was a much bigger picture. And so I want to talk about the church and the church's role in the emerging generations. What is your role and what's my role? 
Like, what are we to do? I'm going to talk to parents in a second. So parents, get ready. It's coming. Grandparents, I want to talk to you a little bit too. But I want to talk to all of us for a second and talk about the church and, and the, the emerging generations and the reality. I don't even have to tell you this one. Look at, look at this. Uh, it takes a village. It takes a village. You know that. I know that. It takes a village to raise a child. Now, Jesus was raised, and we get a picture of his ministry years, so like three years of his adult life. And what Jesus did is he invited some disciples, probably some younger men. Uh, there were some, some women eventually who kind of gathered around, so that, that circle began to widen. But Jesus invested his time and his energy specifically. He did a lot of different things, but he spent a lot of time with those disciples. Those disciples, when Jesus was crucified and eventually resurrected, something so substantial happened within the lives of those disciples that they couldn't help but pass their faith on to those around them. Now that's important. And the reason it's important is because we are sitting here today because someone in our past saw it fit to invest their faith into our lives. They didn't just hope that it would work out. Our, our, whether it's your parents, your grandparents, your neighbors, your youth counselors, your teachers, your coaches, I don't know who it was, but someone, we are sitting here today because someone saw that it was important to share their faith with the next generation. And let me tell you, church, if we are to pass our faith to the next generation, it will be because we're intentional, not just because it will happen. We have to be intentional in passing our faith to the next generation. Um, I, I, I made up this word, I think. I think one of the challenges and one of the reasons we see so many churches closing their doors is because churches... The gravitational pull is for churches to be generationally bound. And what I mean by that is for churches to begin to narrow the focus to certain generations and miss reaching a wide range. One of the things I love about McDowell is our, our generational spread. But I want to tell you, thank you. I don't know who that was. Thank you. But I want to tell you that the tendency and the pull over time will be for us to begin to narrow our reach and to point our finger at the next generation and go, it's all their fault. And the challenge becomes that we begin to believe that the church is for us instead of for the world. Now, come on. I'm going to step on some toes, and I'm going to push you and challenge you to own this. It's true for me, too. I like the music that I like. And you like the music you like. And it's possible that we would begin to equate what we prefer with what he deserves. But it's a preference. And music will change over time. All this will change over time. The message of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, resurrected will be the theme that runs throughout the generations of the church. And we must not be bound by preferences in reaching that next generation. Okay, so um, we hear all these numbers about 
church attendance and all of that, one of the things that we've experienced, it's not experienced by all churches, we've grown in the last few years. And we continue to grow, um, we kind of ex- have expanded and continue to expand from our youngest, also, also though our oldest. Uh, the number one fun bunch. Have you ever heard of the number one fun bunch? They're one of our biggest small groups. It's a small group of like 150 people in our church. Some of you are looking around like, what is that? It's like the 65 and older crowd. Some of you are like, it's younger than 65. But still, it's that, like we've grown in all those different areas. And you look at some of the statistics I read in, um, the, I think it was the Wall Street Journal recently that talked about why church, uh, churches are declining in attendance. Um, there's some new research from Barna and the Pew Research that says this. This is awesome. Um, millennials, the, mo- the millennial generation. In 2019, it says that 21% of millennials attended church on a regular basis. 21%. That's small, by the way. That's a small percentage. Last year, 2022, 39% of millennials began to explore and attend churches. The next, then you've got Gen Z, and then you've got after that the Alpha generation. And the Alpha generation, they're beginning to say, um, they're, they're beginning to call them the open generation because they're beginning in, in a way, in, in, in terms of faith, to be open to the story of Jesus in ways that previous generations weren't. It's amazing. Which means what Jesus said the fields are ripe with harvest. What does that mean? It means that. All around us are people who are open to the good news of the gospel, the good news of God's love, and God just needs us to share the good news. And guess what? It's good. Regardless of how you respond, it's good news. Here's the good news of the gospel. God loves you, and he loves you so much that he was willing to send his one and only son, Jesus, to be the physical representation of love. And there is nothing in all of creation that can separate you from the love that is known in Christ Jesus. That is good news. And in a world, listen, yeah. In a world that is looking for identity, in a world that is looking for hope, in a world that's looking for peace, the good news fills the gap. And one of the challenges is we haven't shared it. We are so, at times, I don't mean we, I just, like, we so often are, are so bound by our preferences, we can't see that God will use anything and everything to reach people with his love. And we will not be a generationally bound church. We will open our borders. We will reach the youngest of generations emerging to the oldest of generations. No one left out. People every now and then ask me, like, who's our target audience? Like, if you're in business, that's what we ask, isn't it? Like, what's your target audience? Like, who's your key consumer? And I'm like, well, we're trying not to have consumers, number one. Um, our, our key demographic is living people. <laughs> that's our demographic. Like, that's who we're reaching. Like, living people. That's what we're after. And so um, it took me a while to, to get this little phrase, but I want to be all in and on the next gen, and I want you to be too. Uh, I want to be all in on the next gen. And here's what that means. It means we're for them, not against. Like we want to be in their corner. These emerging generations, and I know there are struggles and challenges and things that we don't understand. I I get all of that, but we want to be for them. We want them to know they are not alone. They're not alone because God is with them 
and we will be too. Uh, we want to invest in them, not just expect from them. And here's the deal. It is so easy to go, well, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, then I will do this. No, no, no. We want to be a church that invests for the good of the next generation, regardless of whether or not they respond. I remember when, um, when this church was originally built, you know, and, and some of the thoughts of, man, if we could see this place full of people, it would be worth it, it would be worth it. And, and I remember someone saying, no, 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 no. If just one person came to know God's love, it would be worth it. Isn't that so true? If just one person, just one more. We want to invest in them, not just expect. And then, and this is so difficult, I get it. I used to run track, and you'd run, and you'd hand the baton to the next person. And, you know, if you were the last person, you were the fastest on the team, which meant I was never the last number four. I was always, like, number three, which is kind of the slowest on the team. But somehow I talked myself into being on the team. And so you always hand it to number four, and then you watch number four, like, finish it. And, um, you know, the tendency is to look back and go, man, I think I could have run faster than that. I think I could have caught that guy. I could have done that, you know. But here's what you want to be. A good team, when it's time to hand the baton, you hand the baton and then you cheer them to the finish. You be the one rooting them on. Even if it looks different, then you would have done it yourself. And that's tough, isn't it? Come on. And be honest. Like when someone does something and you would have done it different, you're like, oh, if you would have done it like me. No, no, no. You hand the baton. When it's time, you hand the baton and then you stand back and you cheer them on. Listen, when we see students and kids serving, like when we've handed them something, like we should be their biggest cheerleaders. In the first service today, I looked back and Maggie Stoller was at that camera right there, the, the middle camera. And I was thinking, well, here is a girl in middle school who got up before any of you even thought of getting up this morning to be here before 8 o'clock to serve adults this morning, a student. And I thought, she actually goes unnoticed. People walk in here, and they just walk around, and they sit down, and they don't even, like, she's giving her time. And I thought, well done. Like, you're setting, you're setting the stage for us. Like, you're showing up. Like, hand the baton when it's time. And some of you are like, well, where is she right now? She's down in student life. They're building a foundation of faith in her life. She's serving and then she's receiving. That's what the church is. It's serving and receiving. It's serving and receiving. We want to hand the baton and then we just want to stand back and cheer them on. Now in the Psalms, uh, David wrote this. He said, we will not hide these truths. We will not hide the stories of the faith from the next generation. We will tell the next generation so that they will know. And even those who aren't born so that they can know. And then they can pass them on to their children from generation to generation to generation. Each generation will be able to set its hope anew on God. Don't you want that to be true in our world? Don't you want the next generation to have the good news about God's love? Do you want that? Yes. I mean, come on. Like that's, that's where you and me have a responsibility. If you have faith, you have a role to play. If you, I know, amen. Like, even the baby's saying amen. Like, we have a responsibility to pass it to the generation so that they can set their hope on the same God we've set our hope on. Now, I've set you up. How? How do we do this? How do you play a role in this? How do I play a role? Here's some ideas. 
You need to encourage, I need to encourage and pray for them. When you see them, celebrate them. When you see the next generation serving, when you see them up here when we do student Sunday or kids Sunday, like walk around and look for it and celebrate them and pray for them. Number two, we need people to serve. We've, we've kicked off this year with our largest attendance in, in kids' ministry. This, this fall, we've had more kids down in the kids' ministry than, than we've ever had before, which means we need more people to serve there. Now, some of you, we don't need you to serve there. <laughs> and you know why, and I know why, no, but um, some of you are like, yeah, I just, like, with kids, it's, and I'm like, yeah, I know, I get it, so... Um, on Sunday nights, we have middle school and high school kids who gather here, and we give them pizza every Sunday night. You know what you can do? You can serve pizza. You can, yeah, you can buy pizza. You can, you can be here and just give pizza, and then you can help clean up. Anybody can do that. We're still going to run a background check on you, but you can do that. <laughs> um, we're, we're building an internship and, and residency program uh, that is, is investing in the next generation leaders. It's why CHIP is stepped full time into the intern academy. We're gonna expand ours. We need some, some places where those, in the summer especially, where those interns can, can reside here in the valley. And some of you have homes that you vacate. Some of you have a basement that you never use. Not many basements here, but some of you have a room that you might not use or a casita or whatever that might be. And listen, that might not seem like a big deal to you, but it would be a huge deal to an intern to have a home here in the valley, a place to stay where they're not just renting something and having to find it. So you could, you could house an intern or a resident. Um, and then the final thing, so many of you already do this. You give on a regular basis. And I want you to know, like if, you're a, if you consider McDowell your church home, I, I want to tell you, like we need you to invest financially. We, we need you to jump into the game financially. We need you to be a part of it. We've got babies crying because we're not a part of it. Like, like we need you to be a part of it. Um, and listen, there are always going to be needs that pop up. We have some needs because of the space. Um, as, as it's grown in the kids' ministry, we have some needs, some things that we're going to have to do in the physical space. It's going to cost a little bit of money. But we're going to do that because we're going to invest. We need you to jump in and be a part. So if there's one of these things that you're like, I can do that. I can serve pizza. I can serve once a month in kids' ministry. After the service... Don't walk out of this building without talking to someone. Go under the big blue banner. Just stop by and say, here's my name, here's my phone number, here's what I think I might be able to help with. Hand it to them, then you can take off, go get lunch, and we'll call you this week, and we'll get your social security number, we'll get your <laughs> blood type, we'll get all the rest of it. So that's, that's what you can do. But listen, with all that I am, I'm gonna fight with you for the next generation and against being a generationally bound church. We have a, a sister church um, here in the valley that probably five or six years ago, they, um, they had gotten to the place where they were so bound by one generation, they only had 30 people left. They had this incredible location down in Arcadia. And I mean, the property's worth a lot and um, only 30 people. And they couldn't figure out why kids wouldn't come why, why there were no kids there. And I was like, well, I can tell you exactly why kids aren't here. Let me give you 10 reasons why kids aren't here. And unfortunately, they, they couldn't make it. And that's what we see around the country is churches closing down. Now, thankfully, 
we had helped plant a church that took over that building and now we're using that kingdom resource in a way that's just blowing up and reaching kids down in the Arcadia district. So we will not be that church that closes our doors and says, if, only if you're in this, this bracket, we're gonna continually to, to open that. Okay, parents and grandparents, I wanna talk to you. Because there's, there's a level of responsibility that we have to own with the children God has entrusted to us at both levels, parents, but also grandparents. You have a role to play in this. And in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures and Deuteronomy, the Shema was given uh, and it was, became the prayer that was, was prayed by all the Jewish people. Jesus would have known this inside and out. And here's what it says, listen, the Lord's our God, so we're gonna set our mind on God. He's our God, nothing else. The Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your strength. That basically means everything you are. Love God. Give him everything. Like, just, just love him to the best of your ability with every arena of your life. Uh, commit yourselves wholeheartedly these, to these commands. Don't just say one thing and do another. Actually, let your whole life be a, a reflection of God's love and his grace and his mercy in your life, his faithfulness. Like, commit yourself to it. Like, walk it out, live it. And then he goes on and he says, repeat them again and again to your children. And I would say this, we need to normalize in our homes faith conversations in ways that we haven't done. We need to normalize those conversations. We need to give our kids and our grandkids safe spaces to ask the tough questions that they're already asking in a safe environment of love and hope and peace. And, and even if we don't know the answer, we, we need to step back and say, you are, you are open to ask any questions and let's, let's, let's go on a journey together to discover what that looks like. Repeat them again and again. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're not at home, which sounds to me like that means all the time. What other time is there? I'm either at home or I'm not at home all the time, talk about these things. When you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up, tie them to your hands and wear them to your forehead as a reminder. I don't think that means like, I know some of us tattoos, like we like the face tattoos and all that. I don't think that's what it means. I think it means that in the ways that we work with our hands, our labor, we should do in such a way that it honors God. And in the ways we interact with one another, we should interact in such a way, the way that we talk about other people, the way that we encourage, we should do so on our faces in a way that represents God and his ways. I think that's what it means. Tie them to your hands, wear them on your foreheads, write them on the doorposts of your house, make sure your home is built on the foundation of Jesus, make, make that known and live it out. Parents, I think what this is saying to us, those of us in the room who are parents, I think this is what it's saying to us. Number one, love God with everything you are. And number two, lead your family intentionally. Like be intentional about the conversations. Love God with everything. Lead your family intentionally. If we sit back and just hope that it's gonna happen, we will probably be disappointed at some point in the future. Your kids and my kids are not going to just pick this up in the culture that we're living. 
it has to be intentional. Now listen, the same stats I was talking about um, from Barna and from the Pew Research Group. Um, if mom and dad, so they did kind of a longer study, if mom and dad both make church a priority in a home, 72% of the children that come from homes where mom and dad both make it a priority, 72% of those children, even though they may leave like in some college years or thereafter, they will come back and plant themselves in a faith community. If mom and dad do not make faith community a priority, 6% of those kids will plant themselves in a faith community in the future. 72%, 6%, which means the way we are investing our time in a faith community matters. And listen, hear my heart here. That's not about this service. It's not about just getting more people into this room. That, it's about saying my faith is so important that I'm gonna make it a regular priority to be a part of this church community for the good of my kids down the road. Don't, don't be short-sighted. Think about what you want eventually one day. And my guess is if you have kids or grandkids, your heart would be similar to mine that when my kids are done with college, I just, I am praying that the seeds that I've planted like come to fruition and that they come back. I see some of you parents that have done this before. Don't, I mean, isn't that what you want? Well, your choices today matter in that. Like it's not just gonna happen when it comes to those relationships with our kids, I love, Andy Stanley said this, I read this years ago, relationships are built on small, consistent deposits of time. You can't cram for what's most important, <laughs> regardless of what um, our teachers tell us right before finals. You cannot cram for what's most important when it comes to your kids and life. You can't at the last minute go, man, I, I miss... Like, I just want to cram for it at the very end with my kids. I want to do as much with them in that final week. I have one that I'm dropping off uh, at college this week. And, you know, you, that causes you to look back and see all the mistakes that you made, wish you would have done some things differently. But it causes you to trust God's grace in the gaps. And that's what we have to do plant the seeds that we can, invest the time where we can, and then trust God's grace in the things that we can't control any longer. Now, parenting looks different all along the way. Um, I, this was something Robin and I saw years ago. I think it's super helpful. So for you parents on the journey, um, really the stages of, of parenting, those early years are about discipleship, or about discipline, obedience, and really it's all about discipleship. And here's what I want you to hear. Every single one of us and the next generation, we're all being discipled by something. You're either being discipled by your faith intentionally or you're be being discipled by the culture and where the culture is going. Five to 12, training years. So you're beginning to answer the question why behind the what. How many of you have five-year-olds who ask why? Anyone? Why? 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 You're like, oh my goodness. Five to 12, that's all they ask the whole time. Why? And the answer is, because I said so. You guys are good parents. <laughs> but I remember one time, in a, I think I was in a Target or something, and I heard a, a dad say something to his kid, and his kid was like, why? 
And the dad said, because I said so. Uh, Robin and I were newly married or something, and I said, I'll never say that to my kids. I know how to parent. And then I had kids, and because I said so, that's why. Um, 12 to 18 is the coaching years, and that's where, if you think about like a sports, I'm a sports guy, so you have coaches on the sidelines, but who aren't in the middle of the game, and they have a different perspective, and they're helping the players see that their actions have consequences and responses. There's results from what they do. And so you're a coach, you're more on the sidelines, you're giving them more and more freedom, and you're kind of coaching them along the way, and you have huddle times when you get back together, call time out, you you spend some time, but it's more about coaching in those years. And then 18 and up, those are the friendship years. And you begin to reap the benefits of all that you did in the years prior. our kids, like I said, are getting older. Two, we have two that are above the age of 18 now, and we had some friends who gave us a book, and um, I'm gonna tell you the title of this book. It's hilarious. Uh, we were talking about how parenting is changing, and they said, absolutely, your parenting has to change. And so we, here's a book that will help you. And the title of the book is Keep Your Mouth Shut and Your Welcome Mat Out. <laughs> Isn't that a great title? Keep... Keep your mouth shut and the welcome mat out. That's what we want with adult kids. We want the, welcome, the door to be open at all times, and we want, until they ask us our opinion, you don't need to give it to them. They're adults at that point, right? Some of you are like, uh. <laughs> okay, so some parenting goals. Here, I'm going to give you some parenting goals, just some practical takeaways. So here we go for those parents in the room. Um, number one, normalize hugs. Just hug them. Even when they don't want to hug. I mean, I, I'm like, I struggle with this. Sometimes with my, as my boys got to be teenagers, it felt awkward at times. Any dads, did you ever have that awkward, the awkward hug? And now every time they leave, Robin's like, go give him a hug. And she's like, normalize that hug. And here's what I've found over time is that they want it more than they let you know that they want it. That physical touch is so important to all of us. So hug your kids. Nor- normalize hugs in your, in your home. Um, and I would say especially dads, come on, hug your kids. Okay, give undivided time and attention. You can't cram at the end, so give your undivided time and attention in the moments that they're ready for it, not when it's convenient to you, because it's rarely convenient to us. Parents, come on. Usually it's like 10.30 at night when you're just drifting off to sleep and your teenager walks in and sits on the bed and you're like, oh my gosh. You've been there. Some of you have been there. That's the time to give them your undivided time and attention. And in the ancient world, I think it was probably work that kept parents from giving their, their time and attention to kids. Today, it's this. And let's just be honest. This is what keeps us from undivided time. The research, now, before you check out, come back just for a second. The research we want as adults, we want it to confirm what we believe, the research. And what we believe is our kids are on this too much. The research tells us that kids have picked up being on this from what we're doing. And the kids are reporting in research that my parents are actually on their phone as much as I am. So parents, I know it's tough. You gotta know what the score is. 
And if you don't know what Beyonce said after the concert, like you probably should know. I don't know that she said anything. I heard she was in concert. Anyway, undivided time and attention. Speak words of life and encouragement. Listen, your kids are going to hear from the world how they fall short all the time. Be their biggest, be their biggest cheerleader. Encourage them. When they, when they do something good, don't just tell them what they do wrong. When they do something good, make it a big deal. Hey, I saw you. I, this, this weekend, um, my son was up way too late one night, and he had work the next morning. And, you know, I was like, he's old enough. He's got to do it on his own. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And he got up and got to work on time, even though he only got like four hours of sleep. And I, had, I wanted to say, you should have been home earlier. You know what I mean? Like, if you would have been home earlier. But instead, I, I turned it around. I was like, dude, I'm so proud of you for getting up and going to work when you didn't want to. And he was like, I almost called in sick. I'm like, I know. I'm so proud of you. Like, cheer them on. Encourage them. Speak life into them. Be consistent with expectations and consequences. I was terrible at this in the early years. I, I would say, hey, if you don't do this, then this. But then I, wouldn't, I didn't want to do it, and so I didn't do it. And I was like, if I have to tell you one more time, then this. And if I have to tell you one more time, then this. It's like, no, no, be consistent with what you expect and let there be consequences and be okay with the consequences. Like, let them, like, it's important. If you haven't read Love and Logic, it's a great book as a parent to read. And then this last one, probably the most important, uh, build a foundation of faith intentionally. If you have kids in middle school or high school, like make them choose one faith environment that they're in every single week. Let, let them choose what that is, but make them be a part of one faith environment a week. Give them some freedom on what that looks like, but we have Sunday morning at 10.30, we have Sunday night, uh, different times for middle school and high school, but a couple different opportunities there. Like just, I, I mean, uh, Liv was up here. She just graduated, and she was talking about how her parents um, told her if she didn't go to church, she couldn't have the car that week. I, I'm like, that's awesome. Do that. And when your kid says, you're the only parent that does that, say, Liv's parents did it. I'll even, I'll give you their name, and you can call them. But do, like, like just... Just require it. And I know it's hard, but you can require that. You can, you can do it. Okay. Anytime I talk about parenting, um, I, I know because I feel it, I just feel like I've messed up in so many ways. Anybody? I just feel like, man, I wish I could do some of the, I wish I could go back and do some of those things. And here's what I want you to know, is that God's grace, like we plant the seeds that we can plant, and we continue to do that over time, but God's grace can fill in the gaps that we created. You got to trust it. You got to trust it. Um, I was writing this down. I, I wrote down this thought that again and again and again, we're going to be reminded that we're not enough. But the good news is we're not alone. That God enters into those weaknesses, to our failures. His grace can cover all of that. And so we can trust him. So parents, I don't want you to walk out of here. Grandparents, I don't want you to walk out of here feeling uh, ashamed of something from the past. I want you to be encouraged that it's not, like it's never too late. And God is with you. Like you can trust that God. The same God uh, who sent Jesus. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and in favor with other people. That same God who 
somehow brought all of that together, he can do that in the next generation here. If we'll be, if we'll be invested, if we'll be committed to it. So let's be that church. Let's be those kind of parents. Let's be those kind of grandparents who are saying, you know what, I wanna, I wanna do some things from my vantage point that maybe you know, my, my kids can't do with their kids, but I can step in and I can be a voice in their life. Be that voice, don't, don't, don't hold back.